Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Russell. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome our regular What's Making News co-host, Russell Hanby. Welcome again to What's Making News, Russ. Thanks, Henry, and you're even better today. How did you know? <laughs> because, because I thought I'd beat you to your answer. <laughs> well, you're quite right, actually. <laughs> I am even better. Of course, you must be not too bad. That's correct. <laughs> and we got that back to front, but we got the same message out. Well done. You get 10 out of 10 for surprising me. Now, I, I think I gave you homework, but I'm not sure that I did, but I certainly know I avoided it. Yes, it was pretty tricky homework this time. Oh, tell the listeners what it was again. Well, last week we talked about the Productivity Commission, do you remember? Yes. Uh, and uh, they came out and said... Uh, uh, among other things that, uh, on the other hand, remote work has risks both to the productivity of business and they said that uh, a prolonged period of remote work may reduce uh, organic development of ideas. Yes. And you asked the question, uh, how do they get this information? Who comes up with this sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And and so I, I looked into it and, uh, well, the product. Activity Commission is an Australian government independent research and advisory body on a large range of uh, economic, social and environmental issues affecting welfare of Australians yep. and leading, they hope, to a more productive and efficient economy. Um, now, they do quote uh, certain professors on that in some of their research. There's a professor, John Quiggan, an economist. He uh, came up with the idea that remote working leads to, leads to more leisure time, flexibility and less commute time, which I don't think is too hard to foresee that one, is it? Well, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> and apparently, and anyway, the agency, the commission used throughout Australian Bureau of Statistics productivity performance tables to assist in recommendations and also what they call experts in the field. Right. So that's where it all came from. Yeah, so they don't just uh, sit around as a group of people. They do do research. What do you think of that research then, uh, Russell, um, about creativity and innovation? Well, I think that uh, it's pretty obvious. The first part's pretty obvious about uh, having more pr productive uh, home life, etc., more leisure time, and almost by definition if you're working from home. And the other idea... Uh, probably it's got there's some merit in it, I think, that you can do a lot of things remotely or on Zoom, etc. but you probably do need to uh, occasionally at least get together with the, the group of people that are coming up with the ideas, don't you think? Yep. Do you do Zoom much? Not Zoom, no. No. I have done, uh, with, uh, with, uh, I think it's called uh, Microsoft, Mat Microsoft Meetings, which is a similar thing, uh, when uh, my financial advisor had a little conversation with us a few weeks ago. I do FaceTime a bit and that other, but not the true Zoom. No, no, I've done some Zoom. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a place for it, but it'll never replace, I think, um, the need for some face-to-face -face contact with people and that sort of interaction. I, I think um, <clears throat> certainly COVID-19 has made it very valuable. And, of course, when you're not in people's neighbourhoods, it can be a very valuable way of connecting. But I still think we do need some real live contact. Well, that was all your homework. How long did that take you to work all that out? Uh, it took a while, actually, because I was looking for more definitive answers as to what their research was, but didn't get very far. I did get stuck into the actual independent report that went for about 108 pages, but uh, I lost interest at about page four, you know. <laughs> bit dry? A bit dry, yes. But uh, they come up with all sorts of figures, but uh, anyway, it's apparently useful for the uh, business uh, world to have something to aim for. They cover a lot of fields, don't they? Mm, the yes. Productivity Commission. They report to Parliament, don't they? 
Yes, they do. They're uh, independent of Parliament, but they do report to them on a whole range of uh, not only economic but also social and environmental issues uh, and apparently it's all to help the welfare of Australians. Who funds them? I suppose the government does fund them. I don't know. Uh, I, I suppose you can be independent of them and still be funded by them, can't you? Can you? <laughs> well, you can try to. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a good question, that. Yes, there's, there's a, if you're funded by somebody, to what extent can you be independent? I mean, lots of people, lots of organisations, I mean, you would say that the police force are independent of government, wouldn't you? Yes, yes. And yet the government funds them. Mm. I suppose I do have a bit of power when it finally comes to this is what we want you to do. This You're sort of in their pocket, literally, aren't you, a little bit? Yeah, you would think so. You would think so. So, um, yeah, independent. I don't know. There's some more homework for you. Tell me who funds them next week, if you don't, oh. if you don't mind. All right, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sound excited. The Productivity yeah, Commission hasn't actually yeah. turned you on, Russell. No, no, you sent me back there. Anyway, I'll find out. See who funds them. Yeah, that might be an my, easier one to follow up, actually. My guess so. would be you were right. I don't think that'll be hard. I think it would be the federal government. Yeah, via the taxpayer, ultimately, I suppose. Yeah, you and me. Mm. And they would argue probably, well, it's for our welfare anyway, so uh, we should pay, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, we're going to go on with what's making news. Russell, the age. Victoria misses targets on Indigenous education. The Victorian government is failing to reach key targets to improve the education of Aboriginal students with Indigenous children in public high schools missing more than seven weeks of school per year on average. A bit of a worry, that, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, some Indigenous students appear to be falling further behind in, in NAPLAN results. Uh, in fact, Aboriginal students in 2019 missed an average of almost 37 days. That compares with 19 days for non-Aboriginal students, so pretty well double the number. Uh, and uh, possibly due to intergenerational or socioeconomic pressures in school and home, uh, the article says, doesn't quite elaborate what they are, uh, non-Aboriginal Year 3 students improved their NAPLAN numeracy scores. 71.8% uh, scored above the bottom three levels, compared with 44.2% of Aboriginal students. Uh, now, that's actually down from 2018's 449 uh, Now, the reading levels also fell from 56.1% in 2018 to 51.9% in 2019. One encouraging thing was that their Year 12 completion rates are up, uh, interestingly, Year 7 results grew from 25.5% to 28.9%. Uh, that's above the bottom three bands, but uh, the government's target is 297 so still below that. Now, uh, Lois Peeler, the principal of Wurrawa Aboriginal uh, College in Hillsville, says that NAPLAN results do not factor in that many do not have English as their first language and that there are many unfamiliar topics and contexts. And also many arrive with limited English and numeracy school or have highly interrupted schooling. Uh, you're one of these uh, people, aren't you, who think that plan sort of has its, mis has its failings and doesn't look at certain areas of, uh, of education? Yeah, look, I've always said that I don't think that plan, look, it has merit but I don't think it has merit to the extent to which it's, uh, with which it's credited, Russell. It's, um, it shouldn't be the predominant measure of a successful school or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of other things that come into it, and I agree with the Aboriginal 
uh, Indigenous elders who, uh, who say that um, it's too much of a blunt instrument uh, to assess student progress. Um, there's a lot of other factors, and you've mentioned some of them. Uh, how we get around it, though, um, <clears throat> how we get around their attendance and success is, is another matter. And some interesting work there by Dr Peeler. Have you heard of Dr Peeler? No, no, I haven't actually till today. You haven't? No. Have you? Yeah, that's the principal of Warrawa Aboriginal College in Hills. Oh, yeah. You just... yeah, that's right. I said that. <laughs> you out. Are you paying attention, Russell? Yeah, I just thought you might have some more information about <laughs> Oh, Russell, I shouldn't do that, should I? <laughs> I was wondering if you were paying attention to me. <laughs> I hope our listeners are paying attention to both of us. Dr Peeler... Uh, did suggest that Aboriginal students' poor attendance figures are a result of recurring pressures inside the school gates and at home, and they come from many reasons, and it's been a long, hard battle. Our Education Minister, James Molino, did say that $7.4 million had been committed to increasing Koori engagement support offices in schools and improving Koori literacy and numeracy for them in primary schools, uh, and he acknowledges that there's still a lot of work to be done. Yes, it's sort of an age-old problem, that, isn't it? Uh, one, one positive thing, I think, is that the Year 12 completion rates of the Indigenous is, is going up. So that's one good and thing. And that, anyway. that, is, that is a good thing. And there's, as, as, as all of us say, a lot of work to be done and let's make sure that we do it. Um, we're still getting paid too much or, not, or women are not getting paid enough, Russell. Which one is it? No, well, the gender divide is now at 25,000. Women still earn $25,000 less than men on average, with a leading gender advocate accusing companies of being on autopilot. The annual snapshot from the Workplace Gender Equity Agency shows that there's been little change in the pay gap, which dropped to 20.1% over the past year. So it hasn't dropped much. It's only dropped by 0.7%. Uh, and now some program, progress on flexible work policies are taking place with the 75% of employers doing something about it of the one surveyed and paid parental leave is being paid attention by 50% of these employers. Um, and as you said, Australian employers are on autopilot when it comes to improving gender equality. The issue is not uh, clearly not receiving the necessary attention to drive further change. So says uh, Libby Lyons, the agency director. Now, 54% of companies that completed a pay gap analysis did anything in response to their findings. So they had these findings, but only 54% actually did something. Uh, what has gone up uh, a bit is uh, women's promotions and appointments to managerial roles has improved. Now, uh, of all the managers, uh, four out of 10 are women these days. And uh, another statistic is that three quarters of uh, part-time workers are women and that 56% of casuals are women. So there's more of them in certain areas, but they're still well behind in the weekly salary, aren't they? Yes, and it's the type of work they got, which is casual, part-time, lower rates, and even when they do um, they do uh, have equal positions in the commercial world, they're still paid less anyway. So yes, that's another one of those ones that there's, um, it's, it's a long game, and for, for women, I guess the game is too long. Yes. I remember, I remember when I started teaching, uh, I think men got more than women. Would that be right back in the 
sixties. I think uh, there was there was a gap. I think between the, the sexes. Oh, I don't know about that. Russell. But I know that teaching was one of the first to bring it into yes, into we've parity. Got, yeah, we've had we have we've had uh, pay parity for quite a long time in terms of if you're in the same classification, the same position, then yeah, you yeah. get the same pay. Of course, historically. We had more men than women in leadership. That is changing, but then there's a lot less men in teaching these days, isn't there? That's right. In fact, back in the early days, women, if they got married, uh, had to leave the service, didn't they? I yeah, think? yeah. Oh, there was a lot of discrimination in teaching then, yes. Um, we, we, were, we were on studentships, and yes. um, a condition of a studentship was that it didn't affect men. But if women got married, um, they forfeited uh, their, th- you know, they, they, they weren't. Part of your studentship was you then committed for three years teaching, and the women were not allowed to get pregnant in their training. No, so they were... But but, but the men, men, there was no such restriction on men um, having that happen in their lives. It was clear discrimination, wasn't it? Yes, that was unfortunately changed decades ago, and uh, so it should have been, yes. As it should have been, absolutely. Now, um, Russell, the age, no vaccine arrivals may be placed in quarantine. Travellers who refuse to be vaccinated against coronavirus will be forced into quarantine at their own expense before being allowed into Australia under plans being considered by the federal government. Now, they can't, as I understand it, make it compulsory to be vaccinated, but there can be obstacles put in your path in other ways if you choose not to be. This clearly might be one of them. Yes, I think so, and uh, there's really a two choices. Uh, the, the plan is for travellers to choose between vaccination or two weeks quarantine. I think that means also at their own expense. Um, now, as international travel, they say, likely to be more widely available perhaps from the middle of next year, this will come into focus, and also with the vaccines coming online, we're hearing encouraging things every day about them, aren't we? Um, many countries either vaccinate on, on the spot or refuse entry to people if they travel to a high-risk area for diseases such as yellow fever. That uh, that still takes place. Um, and now aviation and travel industry leaders say mandatory COVID-19 immunisation and vaccination passports will be the key to Australia opening its borders for quarantine-free <coughs> quarantine travel. So it seems this might be the way they're going to go to, to suppress this uh, virus in Australia. Mm. Well, what's interesting too is Graham Turner, the CEO of Travel Booking Group Flight Centre, said he expected vaccination to be compulsory for anyone travelling in or out of Australia by the middle of next year and he says that would open the floodgates for quarantine-free travel in the second half of next year, even to places in North America and Europe where COVID-19 infection rates are out of control at the moment. Yes, that's a new... That's an interesting one, isn't it? You just hope these vaccines uh, do keep you uh, immune from uh, when you go into these uh, high areas of uh, infection, don't you? Certainly would. Mm. But apparently that's the way to go. It's almost like an endorsement on your passport to say you have been vaccinated or, or not, you know. Yes, well, that would be it. I mean, you go into countries at the moment where they have malaria and so on and you take malaria medication, don't you, to protect you from... Uh... Uh, malaria. Yes, you do. And because it's been such a uh, wide pandemic in, in other countries anyway, uh, you, you might want this to happen, but it seems to be uh, the only proper way to go, I think. Yeah, I think most countries will be working on a similar platform or two, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, I didn't quite just come. Alan Joyce come out and say it might be a condition of you flying that you uh, from inter- overseas anyway. Absolutely. That you have to be back there, otherwise you're not on our plane, sort of thing. I've heard that. Yeah, quite Ooh. possible. Quite possible indeed. Working at home is that a problem for you, Russell, or do you not work at home? Well, this sort of is allied with what we talked about last week. Uh, Melbourne's CBD will flip, and more than 10% of Melbournians will continue working from home in the aftermath of COVID-19. Leading demographer Bernard Salt has made the bold predictions alongside warnings the city's rail network risked becoming inefficient in the face of a reduced commuter workforce and CBD fringe commercial property values could soon suffer. So they're still uh, worried about what's going to happen like next year when not everyone goes back to work. And he says that, uh, as you, as I mentioned, that the city's rail network risks becoming inefficient with the reduced commuter workforce. Um, he said that the growing population in the city's north and west would switch the commuter nexus for the, CV, for the CBD from Flinders Street to Southern Cross. So instead of having thousands pouring out from the eastern and southern suburbs of the Flinders Street, more will come out from the north and west at Southern Cross. And with uh, more people working from or near home, it could lead to 20-minute communities around the CBD as well as provincial cities like Ballarat, Bendigo and Geelong in what he calls containerization of suburbs. And so, in other words, in the city, instead of concentration, say, in the grid from Flinders Street to Burke Street, it could move from Spencer Street to Elizabeth Street. Interesting. What do you make of that? Well, that's an interesting way. He's looked ahead a bit further than just uh, officers going back to work, hasn't he? And uh, it could well be the case. He's one of our leading demographers. Now, the odd spot's an interesting one, Russell. Very interesting. Have you been to Utah? No. Uh, Have you? No. Okay. So we haven't been there yet. We haven't seen this. No. Tell us all Um, about it. A mission to count sheep in the canyons of Utah turned surreal last week when officers from the state's public service department spotted a mysterious metal monolith planted in the desert floor. A pilot with the crew recalled a biologist suddenly called out, whoa, 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 turn around, turn around, when he spied the shiny object. After landing the chopper, the crew had a close encounter with the three-metre-tall Kubrick-esque monument. Utah authorities didn't disclose this location and warned the world to stay away. So there's a new discovery over there in Utah. Yeah, what is a Kubrick-esque monument? Uh, I don't know. Obviously, I think it's related to the work of Stanley Kubrick, I guess. Would yes. It be? yes, it's like um, Hitchcockonian, isn't it? Yes, Hitchcockonian. Yeah. Yeah, um, if, if it's a likeness to their work or inspired by their work, something like that. So clearly this monument um, is... Um, inspired by or something Kubrick-esque. Yes, I did hear I did hear this report yesterday actually too and uh, apparently it's in an area where filming has gone on in the past so that might explain it, mightn't it? Yes. Part of the film set and also they don't want people I think there's a very remote forested area or something and they don't want people to go looking for it because they think they'll have been get search parties to get them out again. So I think that's partly why they don't want people looking for it. Or they could trash the environment. Yes, that's the other thing. Absolutely. Ah, what did you think of Stanley Kubrick's films? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know that many of them. What's a, what's a well-known one that I would know? 
Oh, well, you can find out. You've just given yourself homework. What? Again? Yes. <laughs> I've no, heard the name and I'm sure I've seen yeah. some, but I can't remember. You might like to um, check out what were some of his three most famous films and did he win yeah. any academies and who starred in them? Yeah, all right. Okay, I've written that down. And you can drop the and you can drop the homework on the Productivity Commission. We're all we've all we all respect the work they do, but you know right. we, we don't want to overdo them. All right, we'll have to keep it light and frothy with light and frothy. Yes. Yeah. So if you do that, we'll be all wrapped. Okay, that'll be good. Excellent. Well, that just about takes us out for this week, Russell. That's our, our twenty minutes done and dusted. Very good. Very uh, interesting stories there today. Absolutely. And you ended up with homework, and I didn't. Yeah, that's right. I'll have to be ready for you next time. With you will. Well, you, you beat me to the punch at the introduction. Yeah, well, you told me that uh, I had to think of something different, and I did. I just put yes, it back to front. <laughs> yes, yes, you got me there, but I got you with homework at the end. <laughs> you did, So we, we'll call ourselves all square. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, that'll take us out. That was Russell Hanby list. That's what's making news. We have good news, and we also have quite a bit of fun. Um, take care.